Hey, we welcome you. Thanks for being with us, and we're glad to be with you. And uh, thank you always for tuning in. I get I get uh, words that uh, comments, notes that you're watching, and thank you for doing it. Especially folks back home, Campbellsville, uh, Greensburg, Summersville. I hear from you guys, and I, I want to thank you for that. Um, and uh, I want before we begin into our service today. To, today's July the eighth, and. We film on a Thursday, so you see it on a Sunday, but we film on a Thursday. And uh, today's a, 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 a great day. My mother and father-in-law, Ted and Mary Alice Wynn, it's their 70, it's their 70th wedding anniversary. That's seven zero, 70 years they've been married today, and so we celebrate with them. And, uh, and a lot of you who are watching know my, my mother and father-in-law, so, we, uh, so it's a blessed day. Just wanted to give a shout-out to them. We're going to be doing the Lord's Supper in person today. So while you're watching, our two services are going to be in person and we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper. And we're doing it in a little different fashion. We, we do have a sermon around the Lord's Supper today. And uh, instead of just mixing it in when, we, when you take the bread and when you take the drink, uh, and uh, we're going to give the same thing to you as we're giving to them. Uh, on uh, in our in-person worship. So it's going to be 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. <clears throat> and let me read it to you. Paul says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, help me, uh, help me to be a plain preacher. It's always my prayers. It made me so plain that a child would understand me. Help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit. Any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to a person or their situation, if you prompt me with it, I do want to be obedient to speak to it. And then, Lord, you look at me, you look at all of us, but you look at me differently. I'm a teacher of your word, your preacher. Upon me is a greater judgment, a more strict judgment than anyone else. And I, I know this and I accept it in rightly dividing your word. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. <clears throat> uh, in, the, in the passage, in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, we have the Lord taking bread. Uh, we, we see this as a simple act, uh, not really an elaborate ceremony. Uh, it, it's a, it is a simple act that we have. And he says that this bread is symbolic. It is, represents my body. And he says, I, uh, I, I, I give it, I, I give it to you. This is my body, which is for you, he said. Um, I, I, I believe there's a lot of reasons in why he used bread. Uh, Jesus used a lot of present day illustration. For example, uh, we really believe that when he did the parable of the sower, that he actually saw a person sowing seed on the mountainside or in that area that was visible. Uh, so he, he he used present illustrations. So he was using he was using bread. Um, I, I believe there are a lot of reasons why he used bread. 
uh, that one of them is in Matthew uh, 6, 11, we know the, the simplicity of this prayer in the Lord's prayer is give us today, this day, our daily bread. Uh, it, it is a, if you go to Israel, which I have, uh, I, I have um, I've helped lead tours there. Even when I was in seminary, I helped, I, I helped lead some of my professors on, on a tour there, which was kind of strange, but nonetheless, it actually happened. <clears throat> and in that, uh, bread is a big part of their daily, of their, their, their daily diet. Uh, it's, you, you, you just, it's just bread, bread, bread everywhere. So the, the I believe the reason is he knew and he used bread because he knew that it was going to be a daily occurrence for them, hopefully so. Also, they knew that bread was necessary for their, it sustained them. Uh, I, I believe he used bread because he wanted them to remember his teaching here about himself. And not only that, he used bread uh, because it was a necessity for their life, which he himself inserts, uh, my body is like this bread to you. This bread helps sustain you. I sustain you. And I, I, I think he wanted it in their daily remembrance. I really believe as they encountered bread in the future, which daily they would, it would be a remembrance of everything that uh, they were a part of. Like if somebody mentioned something about home to me, Campbellsville, Greensburg area, then then I automatically am flooded with all kinds of things of remembrance. So he took bread. He said, this represents my body uh, and it is for you, he says. And as it's a daily, as a daily necessity, he's saying, I am a necessity in your life as well. So using bread and them seeing it daily, it helps their remembrance and it helps them to cope with his bodily absence, even though he gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus also, I believe there's a teaching here on why he used bread. And I don't think it's by coincidence. Uh, yes, I do think he used the bread at that meal uh, and that was just before him, but I believe it had a, a deeper level than what I just explained. Uh, in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes to me. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He is saying to them, as I said earlier, that bread is a necessity of their daily life, that he is a necessity of life. So I don't believe it's by accident that he used bread, even though it was a meal, and it was a common process for them to have bread. He took it to a deeper level of saying, this bread represents my body, and you need to understand I am the bread of life, which is his earlier teaching in the Gospel of John. We also want to bring in light that I don't think this is any coincidence whatsoever, and that is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now you're thinking, well, what's that have to do with communion? And if you're thinking that, I totally understand it and get it. But the Bethlehem, its translation means house of bread. Lehem is bread. Bait is house, house of bread. And so uh, the prophecy in Micah was uh, chapter five was that uh, the Messiah, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And then out of the house of bread, 
comes the bread of life. And then he uses it in communion. I, I believe it's all packaged together in there. I believe those are deeper teachings of the use of bread at this Last Supper, what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. Let me just show you how these things come into play, even in the, in the character of God and in, in, in the, the lives of people who are following him. Uh, we're going to leave the bread of life in Bethlehem concept for just a moment, and we're going to move to Mount Moriah and Calvary to show you just how things come together. Uh, Abraham offered up Isaac on Mount Moriah. Well, Mount Moriah is uh, that area behind the Jerusalem wall where you see the golden, the golden dome mosque that you usually see in pictures of Jerusalem. And it was there, that was Mount Moriah in the Old Testament. And uh, it is there that they believe Abraham offered up Isaac on that spot, which is why they built that. It's called the Dome of the Rock, and the rock would be the slab where Abraham offered up Isaac. And while I was leading one of the tours there, you know, I just asked a lot of questions and deal with people. And at the end of Mount Moriah, now we would call it a ridge here in Kentucky, but at, if you walk just a few minutes, now there's a wall you would have to go through now, but then, then if you just walked out to the edge of the ridge, that is where Calvary is. So on, on the mountaintop where Abraham offered up Isaac and God sent a better sacrifice, uh, which was that ram, uh, then which is a, was a picture of just Jesus' sacrifice, then if you just walk down the ridge a few minutes, you're going to come to Calvary. See, I don't think that's coincidental because on the same mountaintop that Abraham offered up Isaac is the same mountaintop that God offered up his son, Jesus. I don't, I don't think it's coincidental. I don't think it's coincidental that Jesus teaches that he is the bread of life in John, in the early teachings of John. And I don't think it's coincidence that this bread of life was born in a city called the House of Bread. And I don't think it's coincidence that he used bread to say this represents my body, which is for you. I believe these become the teachings. And not only then, what I said earlier, using bread would cause them to remember this night, this moment uh, to be able to be together. So he says, do this and do this in remembrance of me. We remember his sacrifice and we remember his suffering today. We do that. Verse 25 goes from the, from the bread representing the body of Christ to the drink representing the cup, representing the blood of Christ. He said in the same way, verse 25, after supper, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Established by my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The, the, the picture here is the, the shedding of blood is the means of establishing a new covenant. Leon Morris said in his commentary, and he suggests that Jesus's new covenant message here is a picture of the last will and testament of Jesus. And uh, that becomes interesting because uh, when we read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, the Hebrew writer brings in to play the fact of the new covenant being the last will and testament of Christ. Let's walk through this for just a moment. 
Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Look at verse 16, where a will exists, like last will and testament, like I have and maybe you have, where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die. Get that? No, I've got a last will and testament, but the validity of it will only happen on my death, since it is never in force while the one who made it is living. So this new covenant is really the last will and testament of Jesus. And when will it, it absolutely be inaugurated? It's going to happen upon his death on the cross. It's going to happen for all of us. And then we read in Hebrews 9.22 that without this shed blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. According to the law, Hebrews 9.22, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Um, I want to give you a picture of the Old and New Testament. So I was running through, how can I simply do this? How the, the Old Testament sacrifice of animals uh, to God, and then the New Testament or the New Covenant sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. How can I put that together? So uh, again, this is Thursday. This is Thursday. I, I, my, my son, Andrew, is in Michigan. And so I called him, and uh, I, I, he probably thought it was one of these dad chats, you know, with all the dad questions and all that stuff and that, that can be annoying to your children. And, uh, uh, but it wasn't. So I, I knew that I had to pique his interest real quick because he thought this is just another dad call. And I said, this is not a dad call. I said, um, this is pastoral, theological in nature. And he goes, okay, what's up? And I could tell he perked up in his voice a little bit because it wasn't the dad call. And I said, Andrew, in, 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 the best, uh, in the best possible way, can you give me the difference between Old Testament sacrifice and New Testament sacrifice when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, I said, no, don't, I don't want a big diatribe here. I just want it real simple. And uh, Andrew said, uh, yeah, he said the Old Testament, it was a, it was a concept. Uh, the sacrificial system was a concept. And he said in the New Testament, through Christ, it was a completion. And I went, well, that's good. You know, the Old Testament was a concept, the system of sacrifice. And the New Testament with Jesus was he completed it. He completed it. So Andrew went on to say, Dad, you need to read Hebrews 9 and 10. I said, it's something I already have. I've already been there. But I, I appreciated that scholarship. So I appreciate the, the work of one of the greatest theologians I've ever known in my life. Uh, and that's my son, Andrew. So I want to thank him for that. I, I, I want to break it down even more than that. In the Old Testament, it was a system. In the New Testament, it is a savior. Uh, I want to take on the Old Testament was a process and the New Testament, it was an actual person. So the New Covenant or the New Testament, uh, the blessings and the promises of God, everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's where Andrew comes up with the concept and then the, the completion. 
Uh, it is there. It was a system. Now it's a savior. And he completes every bit of it. So you have to see the transition from old covenant to new covenant. And Jesus is saying, this is my last will and testament. The promises and the blessings that follow my death are nothing more than the fulfillment of my last will and testament to you, which is my sacrifice and my sacrifice for the sins of the world. Without the shed blood in Hebrews 9.22, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. So right now we're living in the promises and the blessing of the last will and testament of Jesus. And as we said earlier in Hebrews 9, that this last will and testament only becomes valid upon the death of the one casting it or having it. So we're living in a new covenant today. The last will and testament of Jesus, which are his promises and the blessings that are able to flow from that. And then lastly, in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're not only remembering his sacrifice and his service, we are also looking forward and into the future of his coming again. Even the Lord's Supper is looking to the blessed hope of his sweet return. Uh, you do this and you proclaim it until the Lord's death. It points to his death and his return. So we examine ourselves in the present, which is later on in chapter 11. And then we also remember his sufferings. We look back in the past and his sacrifice. And then we also at the Lord's Supper look into the future for his wonderful return. Uh, I was reading in one of the commentaries I was reading is uh, there's a section written by Derek Prime and it's just too good to not use. And uh, I wanna thank him for that and what I was able to get. Uh, he was able to see these five things that we get, these five challenges that we get from the Lord's Supper in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because he, he goes deeper in some of the verses than what I gave you today. He said, it's all based upon the word look. It's all based upon the word look, and uh, it, it provides a helpful way to remember and to recall the significance of the Lord's Supper. His first challenge is we should look back in remembrance of his sacrifice and his, his suffering. His second challenge is we should look up in uh, thanksgiving to God because it says we give thanks for this bread that represents the body, this cup that represents his shed blood. His third challenge is we should look around and make sure that we are in a relationship and a fellowship with God's people. Uh, you know, it, it just comes down to as best as possible, live at peace with everyone, right? And then his fourth challenge is we should look in. And uh, later on past verse 26, uh, beginning at verse 27, he says, you should examine yourself. And then his last challenge is, he said, we should look forward, meaning the future, to the Lord's coming again. Uh, we are participating, as you see this on Sunday, we are participating in the Lord's Supper uh, in remembrance of him uh, in our in-person gathering. Uh, you have that opportunity if you want to lead that at your home or whatever. Uh, in uh, chapter 1 Corinthians 11 will help you in putting that together. And today, uh, in the words of Derek Prime, 
Uh, I want you to look back and remember. I want you to look up and be thankful. I want you to look around and make sure you're in fellowship with his people. We want you to look in and examine yourself, and we want you to look forward to the coming of Christ again, which I believe is absolutely a promised truth that's going to occur. Listen, thanks for being a part of us today. Pray that this challenged you today. Remember, we love you. I may be your own camera pastor or your Facebook Live pastor or whatever. If that's the case, so be it. Uh, and then also uh, know what we say to each other. Uh, it is grace and peace. Make sure you live in both of them. Blessings to you.